In an acting career that spanned five decades, she had 163 movies and 14 television shows, one of which, John and Marsha, lasted for 17 straight years. But at the age of 65, when she was already taking things slow and enjoying the fruits of her labor, she was found stabbed to death inside her car in San Juan, Metro Manila. This is the story of multi-awarded actress Nida Blanca, whose murder to this day is unsolved because the people primarily suspected of the crime have passed away. Listener discretion is advised due to the graphic nature of this story. Nida Blanca was born Dorothy Ginto Jones on January 6, 1936 in Gapan, Nueva Ecija. Dory, as she was called by her friends, was the only child of American soldier with mestizo descent Jose Zubel Acueza Jones Jr. and Filipina with Tagalog roots Inocencia Velez Ginto. Dory finished high school at the Adamson University in Ermita, Manila and took up pre-law for two years at the University of Santo Tomas in Sampaloc. But she wouldn't go on to study law because as it turned out, a remarkable career awaited her in show business. When she was only 13, Dory joined an amateur singing contest in Manila, which led to her discovery by movie star Delia Razon. She was then introduced to Narcisa de Leon, more popularly known as Doña Sisang, owner of LVN Pictures, which at the time was the country's biggest film production company. Due to her mixed parentage, Dory had the classic beauty of a Filipina and the fair complexion of a mestizo American, so she was given the stage name Nida Blanca, because Blanca in Spanish means white. At the age of 14, Nida was immediately cast in the 1951 film Reina Elena. In the same year, she appeared in Amor Mio alongside matinee idol Armando Goyena and actor and dancer Nestor de Villa. She starred in many films produced by LVN Pictures, demonstrating a wide acting range from screwball comedy to drama, such as in the 1952 Lamberto Avellana movie Korea, for which at only the age of 15, she won Best Supporting Actress at the very first Film Academy of Movie Arts and Sciences or FAMAS Awards. Nida played many leading lady roles opposite famous men, such as Eddie Rodriguez, Joseph Estrada, Chiquito, and Filipino comedy king Dolphy. But it was her team-up with Nestor de Villa as a romantic and dancing partner that endeared her to the masses in the early days of her career. Together, Nida and de Villa starred in more than 50 movies, and they also had a comedy TV show on ABS-CBN called The Nida Nestor Show. The Nita Nestor Show was a long-running sitcom, but it didn't last nearly as long as John and Marsha, which had 405 episodes and ran for 17 years from 1973 to 1990. In this well-loved sitcom that further established her as a household name in the country, Nida played the rich Marsha Jones who, much to her mother's dismay, married the poor John Porontong portrayed by Dolphy. Nida received multiple Outstanding Actress Awards for her role as Marsha and throughout her career, she won and was nominated for many other Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress awards from various award-giving bodies. In the year 2000, the Gawad Urian Awards bestowed upon her the Lifetime Achievement Award for her contributions to Philippine television and cinema. It was the last one ever to be given to her while she was still alive. At around 12.30 in the afternoon of November 6, 2001, a Tuesday, the 65-year-old Nida Blanca was driving from her home in White Plains, Quezon City to her workplace in Greenhills, San Juan. 
She was a member of the Movies and Television Review and Classification Board, or MTRCB, and twice a week she would go to their office on the 33rd floor of the Atlanta Center to attend screenings and rate films and TV shows. Screenings usually ended between 5 and 6 p.m., and on that particular day, Nida received a telephone call right before she left the office at around 5. On her way out, she cheerfully told her MTRCB colleagues that she will see them again the next day. Nida was supposed to attend a mass offering for Bong Araña, a fellow actress known by the stage name Nenita Vidal, who had recently passed away. The mass was to be held at 6 p.m. at the Santuario de San Antonio in Forbes Park, Makati, and Nida was supposed to meet her longtime personal assistant Elena de la Paz at home so they could go together. 6 p.m. came and went, and Nida still wasn't home, so Elena de la Paz began to get worried. De La Paz had been Nida's trusted aide for 42 years, and she lived with Nida in her White Plains home along with Nida's husband Rod Strunk and some of Nida's other family members. At around 8pm that day, De La Paz began calling Nida's friends who were also supposed to attend the mass but apparently none of them were able to make it. At about 9.30pm, De La Paz talked to Strunk in his room, telling him she was worried about his wife. De La Paz called around again to find out where Nida was. She tried reaching Nida's friend, Candelaria Ding Ding Tantoco, because De La Paz knew Nida was supposedly with her earlier that day, but Tantoco was already asleep at her home. No one seemed to know Nida's exact whereabouts, so at 11pm, Strunk was left at home to wait for a possible call from Nida, while De La Paz went to the Atlanta Center with her relative Noel De La Paz, who brought along his wife Bernardita and their daughter Patricia. Once at the Atlanta Center, Elena De La Paz asked a security guard to check for Nida's car, which was a green Nissan Sentra Super Saloon at the 6th floor parking area allotted for the MTRCB. The guard did so and reported back that Nida's car was still there. At 11.50pm, De La Paz and her companions went back to Nida's house and told Strunk that they weren't able to find his wife. Noel De La Paz had received a telephone call from a security guard at Casino Filipino in Baranaque, who said that Nida had been seen there at around 11pm. This was relayed to Elena De La Paz, who then went to bed despite her lingering worry thinking Nida might have simply gone to the casino with a friend in a different car. Noel de la Paz and his family left the White Plains home at 12.30am. Elena de la Paz awoke at about 2.30 in the morning and again spoke to Strunk who was still up waiting for his wife. Strunk told de la Paz he had gone to the Atlanta Center and checked Nida's car, but he saw nothing suspicious inside. At about 6am, Strunk drove de la Paz to the house of Ding Ding Tantoco and the two women drove to Casino Filipino using Strunk's car. Once there, they were told that contrary to the report of the previous night's security guard, Nida had not been seen at the casino the prior evening. At around 8am, a security guard doing his rounds on the 6th floor Atlanta Center parking lot found dried blood on the concrete floor that led to a car a few meters away. The car was the green Nissan Sentra Super Saloon owned by Nida Blanca and slumped in the backseat of the vehicle was the lifeless and blood-covered body of the actress herself. Nida often played characters that were tomboyish and matarai or sassy, but people close to her could attest that she was the opposite in real life. She was always described as kind, sweet, and without any known enemies, so when news spread about her death, everyone was in disbelief at how somebody could take the life of a beloved and respected figure not just in the entertainment industry, but also the nation. 
With mounting public pressure, the Philippine National Police's Criminal Investigation and Detection Group, or CIDG, formed Task Force Marsha to focus on the investigation of Nida's murder. Philippine President Gloria Macapagal Arroyo, who had appointed Nida to the MTRCB, urged members of the task force to solve the case quickly. Based on rigor mortis, which hadn't fully set in when Nida's body was retrieved from the car, the time of death was between 4 and 5 in the morning of November 7, 2001. The autopsy showed that Nida sustained multiple bruises on her face, two broken ribs, and 13 stab wounds all on the left side of her body, five on the left cheek, another five on the left armpit, two in the back, and the most fatal one below the left ear which pierced through Nida's throat and hit the jugular vein. The wounds were mostly small and superficial, and seemed to have come from a single-bladed knife like a Swiss army knife, measuring at least 5.5 centimeters or almost 2.5 inches. It was dark in the area with the six parking spaces allotted to the MTRCB, and Nita's car was near a wall at the very end partially covered by a concrete pillar. There was no security guard station or any surveillance cameras around, only a wide-angle mirror to help drivers with their blind spots. Vandalism wasn't an uncommon occurrence in the area, and Nida's car while parked there had in fact been a target before, but it wasn't likely that Nida had merely fallen victim to a gang of vandals. Her belongings were still inside the car which showed no indications of forced entry, leading investigators to discount robbery as a motive. There were no signs of a struggle neither on Nida's body nor inside the vehicle. And this, along with the blood trail to the car, indicated that she had been killed somewhere else, then dragged into and locked inside the vehicle. Investigators had several theories about Nita's murder, and all of them involved money. One theory was that Nita was killed in connection to the Jose Velarde scandal of that same year. Jose Velarde was the name on an account opened with Equitable Bank by ousted Philippine President Joseph Erab Estrada, who was Nida's longtime friend. Nida allegedly had a large gambling debt with a politician, and two checks totaling 200 million pesos or 4 million US dollars were believed to have been issued from the Jose Velarde account to Nida so she could pay off that debt. Greedy parties, however, wanted to stop her from doing so. Bank inquiries later revealed that no transaction existed between the accounts of Jose Velarte and Nida Blanca. The second theory was that Nida had knowledge of a money lending business inside the casino and she was killed because she had a list of people owing money to a certain movie star living in Forbes Park. This theory was mostly based on rumors as Nida was often seen at Casino Filipino in Paranaque, and it was one of the places she was last seen alive. According to investigators, Nida did not go to the wake in Santuario de San Antonio in Makati after leaving the Atlanta Center on November 6. Her whereabouts between 5 and 10 p.m. of that day is unknown, but witnesses placed her with a tomboyish-looking woman at Casino Filipino between 10 and 11 p.m. It was initially thought that Nida had been captured in the casino's security tapes, but it only turned out to be someone who had the same build as Nida. The police sketch of the mystery woman with her closely resembled Nida's longtime friend Dingding Tantoko, who admitted that she used to drive Nida to the casino. But Tantoko denied that she was with her at the casino on the eve of the murder and said that she was at home the whole day of November 6 and the last time she drove Nida to the casino was on October 23. 
although Tantoko had inconsistent statements and was initially reluctant to cooperate with the investigation, it was later confirmed by Casino Filipino employees that Nita went to the casino on November 5 and not on November 6. The third theory is one that many Filipinos even to this day believe to be the truth. It's the theory that Nita was killed in relation to her last will and testament by none other than her husband, Rod Strunk. Rod Strunk was born Roger Lawrence Strunk on March 20, 1941 in Australia. He was raised in Tracy, California by musically talented parents, a father who sang opera, and a mother who wrote and played music for her church. Strunk went to Tracy High School where he appeared in school plays and played trombone in the school band. With Strunk's musical background, deep baritone voice, and good looks, it was no surprise that in 1959, while studying at Fresno University and singing on the side in local clubs, he was discovered by a recording executive and asked to audition. Strunk went on to become the recording company RCA Victor's latest heartthrob, meant to follow the success of Elvis Presley, who was serving in the army at the time. Barely out of his teens, Strunk, under the stage name Rod Lauren, hit number 31 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1960 with the song If I Had a Girl. He released other records which he promoted on The Bob Hope Show, The Dick Clark Show, and Ed Sullivan's Talk of the Town, but none of his songs ever broke the Hot 100 chart again. Strunk began singing in clubs in Southern California and Las Vegas, and he auditioned for several movies, landing his first big screen role in the 1963 sci-fi horror film The Crawling Hand. Nida Blanca had been married before to a man named Victorino Torres, but the marriage didn't last long and the couple separated when their daughter was only two years old. Nida met Strunk in 1964 while he was shooting the John Derrick war drama film Once Before I Die in the Philippines. The two became a couple but broke up after a while until they met again sometime later and rekindled their relationship. Nita went on to marry Strunk, first in Las Vegas in 1979, then again in the same city in 1981 after her divorce from Victorino Torres, which she previously thought had been legally binding, was finally made official. By this time, Strunk's professional career was already on the decline, so the couple decided to move to the Philippines. Strunk, being married to Nida, stepped into a life of celebrity. He attended presidential inaugurals, sang at birthday parties for former President Ferdinand Marcos, and danced with former First Lady Imelda Marcos. He was getting full financial support from Nida for all of his personal and professional expenses, including starting a dart store and purchasing expensive musical and recording equipment. He was drinking excessively and in 1990 began using shabu or meth. And though Nida managed to forgive him when she found out about the drug use, the relationship was never the same again. It got to the point where Nida and Strunk were already sleeping in separate rooms at home, but Nida still tried to work on their marriage. Strunk's dart store eventually went out of business, yet with barely any income and mostly financial support from his wife, Strunk continued to live an extravagant lifestyle. In the year 2000, Nida discovered that Strunk had accumulated a debt of 600,000 pesos or 12,000 US dollars, which is roughly double that amount in today's money. Furious, Nida confronted him and decided to cut off their relationship, telling him not to expect anything from her anymore. She allowed him to still live in the same house, but she started to exclude him from her financial decisions since then. 
Nida apparently had 85 million pesos or 1.7 million US dollars worth of properties, which again is roughly double that amount today. This included her house in the upscale neighborhood of White Plains, Quezon City, a three-story condominium in Green Hill, San Juan, a vacation house in Baguio City, a five-hectare lot in San Mateo Rizal, and a house in California. Strunk wasn't in any of the property titles and stood to gain only a modest amount as one of Nida's several insurance beneficiaries. Nida had also updated her last will and testament to give everything she owned to her daughter from her first marriage, Catherine Joan Torres. It was true that as long as Nida remained married to Strunk, he would still be legally entitled to a portion of her assets should she pass away before him, but if their marriage was annulled, Strunk would inherit absolutely nothing from Nida. The prevention of this annulment and anger at having been removed from the will were seen by investigators as possible motives for murder. Strunk, however, vehemently denied any involvement in the crime. Nida's daughter, Catherine Joan, or Kay, flew from Los Angeles to see her mother skis through in the Philippines. In talking to the police, she confirmed that her mother had confided in her about her arguments with Strunk over his out-of-control lifestyle, which was why Nida left his name out of the title when she bought Kay a house in LA. Kay described Strunk as, quote, irresponsible, extremely lazy, extravagant, and very fond of drinking, end quote, and that if there was anyone who had a strong motive to kill or have her mother killed, it would be Kay's stepfather, Strunk. Nida's assistant, Elena de la Paz, agreed that Strunk had a strong motive to kill Nida, and she noticed that he didn't seem too concerned when he found out that his wife was missing. Strunk also had a duplicate key to Nida's Nissan Sentra, and he had a habit of not informing others when he left the house. De La Paz said that of the three entrances to their White Plains residence, the door Strunk most often used was near his private music room and hidden to the public, which meant that he could easily sneak in and out of the house without anyone noticing. White Plains security guards said that on November 7, the day Nida was killed, Strunk entered the subdivision on his Nissan Vanette at 3.10 a.m. and left again at about 3.30. His 310 arrival matched with the account of Dilapaz when he told her that he had just gone to the Atlanta Center to check on her car. But it's unclear where he went when he left the subdivision again 20 minutes later. Ten days after the crime, on November 17, 2001, a reward was raised by the PNP for any vital information leading to the solution of the murder. 300,000 pesos was offered by then San Juan Mayor J.V. Ejercito and 700,000 pesos was put up by Senator Tito Soto III, the Kapisana ng mga artista ng pelikulang Pilipino, and the PNP, totaling 1 million pesos or 20,000 US dollars. Strunk remained as the only suspect in the case until the following day on November 18 when someone, out of guilt, came forward with a confession. It was 53-year-old Pedro Philip Lucero Medel Jr., a police and military civilian agent turned mercenary. According to Medel, a man named Michael Martinez recruited him in October 2001 to participate in what was referred to as the Tantoco Project. Medel was to be paid 50,000 pesos to serve as a lookout while Martinez tried to settle the score with the wife of a Chinese businessman being sued for swindling. Martinez asked Medel to meet him on November 6 at the corner of Santolan Road and Epifanio de los Santos Avenue, or EDSA, near Camp Crame in Quezon City. 
but at 5 p.m. of that day, Medell was picked up at their agreed location by a Caucasian man who was a passenger in a beige car. They drove to the Kamayan restaurant along Edsa in Mandaluyo, where the Caucasian told Medell that Martinez would meet them. Not finding Martinez at the restaurant, they drove to Vera Mall in Green Hills and the nearby Robinson's Galleria to look for a woman the Caucasian referred to as Mahatera. At 9 p.m., with no luck finding this woman, they returned to the Kamayan restaurant to wait for Martinez, and while eating dinner, the Caucasian made calls on his cell phone and instructed Medell to act only as an observer while the Caucasian intimidated their target. They left the restaurant after 10 p.m. without Martinez showing up, and they drove this time in a light green car to the 6th floor parking area of the Atlanta Center in Green Hills. They parked next to a dark green vehicle, and at about 12 a.m., the Caucasian unlocked that car with a key that he had and instructed Medell to get in and wait in the back seat. The Caucasian left Medell, who passed the time by texting his friends until he eventually fell asleep. Medell was awakened at around 1 a.m. by bright lights from a car parking in the adjacent space. The same Caucasian man he was with got out of the newly parked car with two women, one of whom was tomboyish looking while the other was well-dressed in dark pants and a long-sleeved blouse with vertical stripes. The Caucasian pushed the well-dressed woman into the backseat of the dark green car with Medell and shouted at her asking for certain documents. As the well-dressed woman tried to get out of the car, they all kept punching and kicking her while Medell restrained her by the neck according to the Caucasian's orders. Medell then stabbed her repeatedly with a knife. The group left the dead woman inside the dark green car and fled the building at 2 a.m. Medell was dropped off near Vera Mall and told by the Caucasian that his payment would be delivered by Martinez. Medell took a cab to the Edsa Shrine where he transferred to a bus heading to his rented apartment in Camias. Once home, he hid the knife he had used in the murder under the kitchen sink. Medell in his confession called the Caucasian man he had been with as Buckling but positively identified him as Rod Strunk, who was apparently the mastermind of the whole operation and not Michael Martinez like Medell initially thought it was. Medell claimed to have never met either of these men before. He also clarified that he wasn't originally recruited to kill their victim despite it ending that way, and that he didn't know the woman he had killed was the actress Nida Blanca until he heard it from the news a couple of days later. Because of Medell's testimony, Strunk was officially declared a suspect by the Department of Justice, but Strunk continued to profess his innocence and declared his shock at being accused by someone he doesn't know and has never met. He was immediately placed under 24-hour surveillance but couldn't be arrested yet as Justice Secretary Hernando Perez said the arrest warrant will be issued only after a preliminary investigation had been conducted. Police kept custody of Medell while they tried to locate Michael Martinez, who was said to have been missing since the day of Nita's murder. On November 23, 2001, a preliminary hearing of the case was held and shown live on TV. Medell, in an emotional outburst, recanted his story and alleged that he was tortured by the police into confessing but no evidence of coercion or torture would be found during his medical examination later, aside from bruises on his wrists and ankles, which were expected on a man who had been cuffed for as long as he had. Two months later, on January 21, 2002, Strunk flew back to California to take care of his dying mother. Being an official suspect in an ongoing murder investigation, Strunk was on the Bureau of Immigration's watch list, but he was allowed to leave the country as there was no court order issued against his departure. 
Unfortunately, Strunk's mother passed away the day before he arrived in the US. Grieving for yet another loved one's death, Strunk lived in their family home in Tracy, California and decided to stay in the US despite a previous promise to return to the Philippines. On July 17, 2002, the Department of Justice filed parricide charges against Strunk and murder charges against Medel and three unknown persons. Obstruction of justice was filed against Ricky Alvarez, Roberto Cañete, and Diolito Molines, the guards on duty at the Atlantis Center at the time of the murder, for allegedly withholding information pertinent to the case. A month later, on August 12, 2002, the National Bureau of Investigation asked the DOJ to amend the criminal charge against Strunk from parricide to murder, as Nida and Strunk were only legally married in the US and not in the Philippines. The charges against Strunk and Medell still used Medell's original confession as basis, as his retraction was done publicly and not under oath. The NBI also had the testimonies of 25 witnesses and two vital pieces of evidence supposedly linking Strunk to Nida's murder a Swiss army knife allegedly used as the murder weapon, and a red and blue umbrella that could place Strunk at the crime scene. According to investigators, Strunk bought the Swiss army knife at Robinson's Galleria, a mall in Mandaluyong City, two days before Nida's body was discovered. As for the umbrella, witnesses said that Strunk always kept it inside his own Nissan vanette, but the very same umbrella was found in Nida's Nissan Sentra after the murder, and according to a witness named Leticia San Jose, that umbrella wasn't in Nida's car when Nida came to visit her two nights before her death. Strunk insisted that though he did go to check Nida's car the morning of the murder, he only looked and saw no one inside, so he had no reason to open the car. Strunk also said of the Swiss army knife and the umbrella that these were fabricated evidence, particularly the latter. According to him, the NBI had asked him to identify an umbrella with a twisted handle, which Strunk said he didn't recognize. He wasn't sure if it was his or Nida's because they both had several umbrellas in their cars. Strunk then described the red and blue umbrella he liked to use when playing golf. And the next thing he knew, the NBI was showing that same umbrella on TV, saying it had traces of blood that belonged to Nida because Strunk had used it to stab her three times. No fingerprints, however, were found on the umbrella. The preliminary investigation of Nida's murder was terminated on November 5, 2002. Three months later, on February 14, 2003, the DOJ indicted Strunk as the mastermind behind the killing of his wife. Strunk, Medell, and Jane Doe were charged with murder at the Pasig City Regional Trial Court, while all other respondents, including the three Atlanta Center security guards, were exonerated for lack of evidence. On February 21, 2003, a warrant of arrest was issued for Strunk, but because he was an American citizen who was in the U.S. and couldn't legally be forced to return to the Philippines, an extradition request was filed by the Philippine government so he could stand trial in the country. Three months later, on May 13, 2003, Strunk was arrested by U.S. Marshals and placed in the Sacramento County Jail pending his extradition hearing, and on July 8, 2003, the trial began. Multiple witness affidavits were presented by the Philippine government in an attempt to support Medell's initial confession linking Strunk to Nida's murder. According to a man named Leonilo Gonzaga, he and Medell lived in rooms at the same warehouse. They first met when Medell lived in the home of General Galileo Gerard Quintanar Jr. of the Philippine Air Force, uncle of Roy Lee Quintanar, who was the president of the security agency Gonzaga was working for. 
In June 2001, when Medel moved to the same place as Gonzaga, Medel told him he was one of General Quintanar's men. Medel and his roommate Todong Polinar told Gonzaga that they usually went to a sing-along piano bar with Rod Strunk. Four months later, in October 2001, Medel asked Gonzaga if he knew a killer because Medel wanted to kill someone for money, and Gonzaga overheard Medel pose the same question to another friend, Major Pedro Pates Jr. The following day, Medel specifically identified Nida Blanca as the person he was planning to kill, and on November 5, two days before Nida was found dead, Gonzaga overheard Medel talking to Strunk and making plans for that evening to meet someone, presumably Michael Martinez. At around 8 a.m. of November 7, 2001, the morning Nida's body was found, Gonzaga observed Medel who was agitated and complaining about being deceived by a certain Cano, which is Filipino slang for American. Gonzaga also overheard Medel making plans to meet someone he referred to as Colonel. Three days later, on November 10, Medel admitted to Gonzaga in the presence of Roy Lee Quintanar that Medel had accidentally killed Nida Blanca. That same day, Gonzaga called PNP CIDG's police superintendent Jesus Versosa, who was apparently the colonel Medel was referring to. Gonzaga told Versosa that Medel wanted to surrender, and Medel and Versosa continued talking on the phone and agreed to meet on November 17 in Quezon City. Medel asked Gonzaga to accompany him on the said date, but he didn't surrender until a day later on November 18. Pates corroborated Gonzaga's statement about being asked by Medel if he knew a killer, but this conflicted with Medel's initial confession that Medel was hired only to be a lookout and not as an assassin. Gonzaga, in his succeeding sworn statements, also provided inconsistent accounts of what happened. In his second affidavit, Gonzaga said he knew and had met Strunk twice, first in September 2001 and again on November 5, 2001 with Medel himself at the home of General Quintanar. This conflicted with his previous statement that on November 5, he only overheard Medel on the phone with someone named Rod. In Gonzaga's third affidavit, he said that his September 2001 meeting with Strunk was also at General Quintanar's house and with them were Elena de la Paz, Noel de la Paz, Noel's wife Bernadita de la Paz, Ding Ding Tantoco, and Michael Martinez. This would have been vital for investigators to know, but Gonzaga only mentioned this on June 23, 2003, almost two years after the crime and after he was denied bail. Gonzaga also said he had seen the aforementioned people, including Strunk, about four times at General Quintanar's home, which conflicted with his previous statement that he had only seen Strunk in person twice. Gonzaga's account also left many things unexplained. Aside from the many inconsistencies with Medel's story, there was no explanation to why they were meeting at General Quintanar's home and if Quintanar himself had any connection to the murder, although Quintanar denied knowing either Medel or Strunk. There was also the question of why there was a week's delay in the PNP taking Medel into custody if he had already admitted his guilt to police superintendent Versosa on November 10. There were many other witness statements produced and scrutinized in the trial, but they only poked more holes into Medel's story, which was inconsistent enough to begin with and at odds with Strunk's whereabouts in the hours leading up to Nida's death. It also didn't help Medel's case that he had apparently requested for his family to be sent 20,000 pesos for his confession and that half of this amount was indeed sent to Medel's family with the receipt as proof. All the eyewitness statements aside, Medel's story was disproved most importantly by forensics, as the knife that Medel claimed he used on Nida and hid under his kitchen sink tested negative for the presence of any human DNA 
and the hair and fiber samples taken from the crime scene couldn't be matched to Medell at all. U.S. Magistrate Gregory Hollow said of the case that there was little competent evidence to support the conclusion that Strunk hired Medell to murder Nida, and as such, his decision was to deny the Philippine government's extradition request and order Strunk to be released from jail. Strunk's legal battles in the Philippines were far from over though. On February 18, 2005, the Court of Appeals affirmed its decision to uphold the filing of the murder charges against Strunk. The following month, Strunk filed a petition asking the Supreme Court to stop the serving of his arrest warrant, and he also asked for the case against him to be thrown out. In 2006, the Philippine government filed a second request for Strunk's extradition, and though they didn't receive any official response from the US, they would soon find no need for Strunk to be extradited anymore. Strunk's life had become even more challenging since his release from the Sacramento County Jail. He had no home to return to as the Strunk family home in Tracy, California had been sold to pay for his legal bills. Fortunately for him, a close friend named Jim Thompson had a trailer on a Tracy property and he let Strunk live there until Strunk could afford to rent a room for himself. In January 2007, Strunk moved to Redding, California to remarry, but the union was quickly annulled after only several weeks. Since then, he had been alternately staying in cheap motels and at a man's shelter in Stockton, California, occasionally checking in at the Tracy Inn when he had extra money. He was on heavy medication for diabetes and was once again drinking heavily. On July 11, 2007, Strunk called his friend Jim Thompson from the Tracy Inn where he had been staying for three days. Strunk sounded troubled and he asked Thompson to come over to discuss something important, but Thompson couldn't do so as he was serving as camp counselor in the mountains for a week. A few hours later, at around noon, a woman discovered Strunk's body lying with a pool of blood by his head in the parking lot behind Tracy's inn. He had apparently jumped to his death headfirst from a second floor balcony of the establishment. Though he didn't leave a suicide note, Strunk's death was ultimately ruled by American police as a suicide. In 2006, while the DOJ was working on their second extradition request for Strunk, they also indicted three additional persons in the murder case. Michael Martinez as principal accused, Nida's assistant Elena de la Paz as an accomplice, and retired Philippine Air Force General Galileo Quintanar as an accessory to the crime. This was based on a new set of evidence including the affidavits of Andrada de Lendas, Rani Francisco, and Fedelin Canoño. According to star witness Andrade de Landas, she saw Martinez with Strunk and Medell at the Atlanta Center parking area while they were carrying Nida's body out of a van and into her Nissan Sentra. Fedelin Canoño attested that de Landas was indeed at the Atlanta Center at that time, and Rani Francisco identified Elena de la Paz as one of the three people last seen with Nida when she left the MTRCB office just hours before her body was discovered. But Michael Martinez, as of this recording, is still nowhere to be found. He was reportedly abducted in the morning of November 19, 2001, 12 days after Nida's murder and a day after Medell came forward with his initial confession. According to Martinez's mother, Maria Estrelita, and his wife Teresita, he was taken away by seven men at gunpoint at around 7.30 a.m. while he was walking from his house in Sun Valley Subdivision, Paranaque, to his mother's house in the same village. Medell claimed that he saw Martinez before midnight of November 19, 2001 or in the early hours of November 20, 
detained in being punched inside a room at the CIDG headquarters in Camp Crame, Quezon City, where he was also being held. Maria Estrelita and Teresita asked the CIDG to release Martinez or that they be allowed to see him, but the request wasn't granted, so they filed a petition for habeas corpus against various members of the CIDG and Task Force Marcia. The petition was for them to produce Michael Martinez in court or to justify the continued detention of his liberty, but the court dismissed the petition as the respondents from the CIDG and Task Force Marcia denied that they had Martinez in their custody and there was no definitive evidence that they ever had him aside from the testimony of Medell who had then been proven to be an unreliable witness. Philip Medell didn't qualify for the government's witness protection program because he recanted his testimony and had since stuck to the story that he was tortured into confessing. He remained for eight years in jail until the morning of April 6, 2010, when he was rushed to the Pasig City General Hospital after experiencing difficulty of breathing. He had been coughing for two weeks and was not eating well, and it was discovered at the hospital that he had blood infection caused by chronic pneumonia. Medell passed away the following day on April 7, 2010. Nita's daughter Kay still hopes to this day that her mother's killers would be brought to justice. But unfortunately, according to Philippine law, a case where the accused has died can no longer go to trial. Investigators have since tried to explore other angles, such as a rumor that Nita was a gambling financier who was partners with fellow actresses Gina Pareño and the late Bong Eranya and their bagman who got funding from other sources, the missing Michael Martinez. There have been no new reports on the progress of the 2006 indictments or the investigation on the gambling angle, but what's clear is that until someone comes forward with a solid lead on a suspect other than Strunk, Medell, and Martinez, the gruesome murder of Nida Blanca might remain unsolved forever. To support Stories After Dark, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also suggest cases or send personal stories to storiesafterdarkph at gmail.com and become an official patron at patreon.com slash storiesafterdark. All of the links are in the episode description. Thank you for listening.